want to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Mark chapter 7 this morning. This morning, Mark 7 will be in verse 24 through 30. We come right off the heels of um, a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes last week where they were concerned about Jesus' disciples not practicing the traditions of the elders. And Jesus has a very poignant conversation with them, calls them out, calls them hypocrites. And then he calls the the crowd close. He turns away from the scribes and the Pharisees, and he turns to the crowd, and he calls them close. And he says, everyone hear this. Don't miss this. He says, there's nothing outside a man that can defile him. Nothing can enter a man or a woman that can defile him. But it's what comes out that shows that he is defiled or that she is defiled. We come off of that and this morning we come to a text where Jesus retreats with his disciples and he goes away because he wants his disciples to get this, to understand. We've, for several weeks we have seen how Jesus is being very intentional about teaching his disciples. He's wanting them to be ready because he knows that there's coming a day when he will be nailed to the cross and he will leave and leave them with the mission that he has began. The message this morning is entitled, It Came From Within. On April 20th of this year, there was an explosion on an oil rig out in the Gulf. We all know about it. The BP uh, oil spill. And it went on for three months before it was capped, and then it was finally declared officially dead uh, in September of this year. There were 11 men who were killed in that accident, and 185 million gallons of oil were leaked into the ocean. And today, there are still effects being felt of what came from within. And there were a lot of things that we could have done on the surface. Uh, I don't know all the procedures they, they, uh, they undergo to clean that up. But they could have done everything they knew to do on the surface, but it really would have done little to no good until they dealt with the source. Until they capped the, the well and eventually drilled the relief well and... and killed the original one, didn't do any good. And Jesus here is saying the same thing. He wants his disciples to understand that a person is not defiled because of what they do or don't do. He wants them to understand that people are already defiled, that we are wicked, that the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand its ways? People are prone to go their own way, to do what's right in their own eyes, to rebel, to grumble, to complain. This is not the right kind of bread, God. People in their nature are prone to sin because we have inherited a nature of sin from Adam. And Jesus wants his disciples to see this because they are surrounded by a system, the tradition of the elders that teaches them 
That's not the truth. The truth is that all you need is reform. That all you need is to figure out what you're doing wrong and nix that. Well, you and I know that there are certain things that we struggle with over and over and over. And it doesn't matter how many self-help books we read, how many new leaves we turn over. There are some things that we seem to constantly, perpetually struggle over. And it points back to this, that our hearts are desperately wicked. It comes from within. Let's look at our text this morning. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. For she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon had gone. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take your word, the words here in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and God, that you would bring them to life this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I started out in studying this text, and I I came to the very first three words of verse 24. And it simply says, and from there. And I couldn't get past it. And from there, anytime you say, and from there, you have to question, from where? Where did he come from? Well, he comes out of that context where he's had that conversation, that confrontation with those Pharisees and scribes, where he's pulled the crowd in and told them that there's nothing outside that can defile a person. They're already defiled in their heart. And from there is where he takes his disciples and strikes out and goes off into a, what would be considered a very wicked, very defiled place. He wants the the disciples to understand what he was saying in verses 21 through 23. In verses 21 through 23, he said, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I don't think there's any of us that can sit here this morning and say, you know, my heart's an open book. I I don't care if you reveal my heart. I mean, if I had the, the power, if I had the ability to take your heart, not your blood-pumping muscle in your body, but, but the core of who you are, if I had the ability to lay it bare, lay it open, put it on the screens, and say, this is the heart of you, would you be comfortable with that? I can tell you as your pastor, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. 
Because I, I think each and every one of us know that while we admit that we are sinners, we admit that we need grace, and we, we strive to follow after Christ, we know who we really are inside. We know that we are a work in progress, and we know the evil thoughts that pop up from time to time. We know the, the slander that comes out from time to time. We wouldn't want anyone to know that. And Jesus wants them to know. He wants these disciples to know what real saving faith looks like. He takes them away, and he doesn't want them to be confused that saving faith is about doing the right things. He wants them to understand that the heart is desperately wicked. And here are some things that you need to look for. He does this in a very interesting way. Let me just take you through the text. Number one, to finish this lesson, he takes them to the dirtiest place he can imagine. The Bible says he left from there and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He arose and went there to Tyre and Sidon. Well, let me give you a little bit of background on Tyre and Sidon. Uh, we don't know much about it probably, but it is, it was, uh, Tyre and Sidon were the two largest cities within Phoenicia. And Phoenicia was a country on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. Tyre and Sidon were very popular. They were, they were um, bustling cities of the day. Uh, Tyre, if you will remember, is where Baal worship or Baal worship started. It's the hometown of Jezebel. Jezebel was from there. There's probably not a whole lot of Jezebels here today. Uh, at least that's not the name your mother gave you. Uh, not a whole lot of babies named Jezebel these days. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. Ahab was the wicked king of Israel. And they were really the first to persecute um, those who exercised faith uh, in the coming Lord Jesus. Elijah in, uh, in Scripture predicts the death of Jezebel. Jezebel was a very ruthless woman. She, was, um, she, was, she lived up to her name. There's a reason why parents don't name their children Jezebel today. Elijah predicts her death. He predicted that she would be thrown from a window, she would be trampled under the, feet, under the, the hooves of horses, and then she would be eaten by dogs so that she could not even be buried. And that's exactly what happened to her. Baal worship destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and led to them being captured by the Assyrians. So in the mind of the Jews, this is a horrible, despicable place. This is a place where idol worship had its roots. And so when Jesus strikes out and takes these disciples who are, who are Jews, takes them out of Galilee, takes them out of Israel, takes them out of everything Jewish, and takes them into the heart of Gentile country, he does so very intentionally because he wants to show them that there's nothing outside a person that defiles them. He also takes them to the dirtiest person he can find. In verses 25 and 26, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit of, uh, heard of him. She came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a, a Syrophoenician by birth. The, the dirtiest person that Jesus could possibly find, I want to show it to you, is this woman. The very first strike against her is the fact that she's a woman. Now, women, 
I don't feel that way. Jesus doesn't feel that way about you. But Jesus was simply highlighting the way the economy or the culture of the day felt about women. Women were property. Women were less than men. Women were less than Gentiles. Women were really nothing in a society. The only real purpose they had in the society was to bear children. And if they didn't bear sons, then they were really worthless even in bearing children. She was a woman. And the Bible also says her daughter, her little daughter, had an unclean spirit, had a demon. It was a fallen angel who had um, indwelt this little girl. And so when the disciples go with Jesus and this woman comes and tells the story, my little daughter has an unclean spirit, there's strike two. Number three, it says that she comes and she kneels at his feet. She falls at his feet. This was not permitted in that culture, particularly for rabbis. Rabbis were not to be associated with this type of thing, particularly a woman of this sort. And when she came and she fell at his feet, this was just unacceptable. This would have dropped Jesus' status several notches in the eyes of those watching. There was actually a group in those days, they were a group of Pharisees and scribes called the Bruised and Bleeding Club. And the reason they were called that is because they would, anytime there was mention of a woman being anywhere, they would cover their eyes. But they wouldn't stop where they were going. They would cover their eyes and keep going. And they would bump into things and fall into things so that they would not even look upon a woman. And they were bruised and bleeding often because they were avoiding women in the day. Not only that, she was a woman with a daughter with an unclean spirit coming, falling down at his feet. But the Bible also says here that she was a Gentile. In Matthew's version of this, his parallel account of this story, he not only calls her a Gentile, but he calls her a Canaanite. It was bad enough to be a Gentile, but it was worse being a Canaanite. The Canaanites were supposed to have been destroyed. When, uh, when the Israelites came into the land, God had given them instructions to destroy them. But they didn't. Instead, they took several of them captive and used them as slaves. And as a result, idolatry found its way into the people of God. So she was a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit, falling at the feet of Jesus. She was a Canaanite Gentile, a woman who should not even exist. And then it says, Mark tells us that she was not only a Canaanite Gentile, but she was a Syrophoenician. She was a Syrophoenician. Uh, Syrophoenicia was, uh, uh, was it, Phoenicia under the rule of Roman government, had been annexed to Syria. And so, she was born in Syrophoenicia, so she is a Canaanite Gentile who's born under Roman rule. She's Greek-speaking, which means she's one of them. She's one of the ones who are holding the Jews captive. She is Roman. They hated the Romans. Um, Jews hated the Romans. So this person, it couldn't get any worse. Jesus takes these disciples and he goes to the dirtiest place he can imagine, the heart of Gentile country, the heart of Baal worship, the heart of idolatry. And then a woman comes. She's a woman with an unclean child bowing at his feet, a Canaanite Gentile with ties to the Romans. There couldn't be anything worse in the mind of the Jews. But not only that, we see in the text that he's highlighting here not just this region and not just this woman, but he's also highlighting 
this dirtiest race. In their mind, the, the race, any other race besides the Jewish race, was unclean and defiled. They were unchosen. They were outside of the grace of God. They were outside of being chosen. The Bible here says, if you look at it, uh, in verse 27, the Bible says, He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Boy, what a harsh statement. We hear this, and none of us would dream of calling another person a dog, let alone a woman, let alone someone who's coming begging that you would heal their or set their daughter free. And Jesus here, what's he doing when he says, when he says to her, let the children eat first? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is Jesus here being so crass? Is he being so rude to really call this woman a dog? Well, yes and no. The Bible here, there's three words in this that I want you to see. First word is children. The Jews had always seen themselves as the children of God. They had always known that they were the children of Abraham. And the Gentiles around knew that they were the children of Abraham. The second word that I want you to see in this is the word dogs. And Jesus here calls her a dog, but he's referring not, not to her in particular. He's referring to the way the Jews refer to the Gentiles. The Jews would often call the, the Gentiles dogs. And the word that they would use for the Gentiles was, was the word for a rabid, ravenous, wild street dog. It wasn't the, the cute lap dog that comes and sits in your lap and waits for the treats and wags its tail and sits quietly by the fire. These were dogs that were terrors. The people were afraid of them. You couldn't let your kids roam free because of these dogs. And the Jews referred to the Gentiles, anyone outside of the Jewish race, as these dogs. But the word here that Jesus uses for this woman when he calls her a dog is not the same word. It, in fact, is a word. It's a word for a diminutive dog. It's a very small dog. It's a pet. It's almost a term of affection here. He is giving this woman a hand of grace. The third word that I want you to see in this, I think, may be the most important. It's the word first. When Jesus says, let the children eat first, Jesus is here giving us a picture of the plan of God. That God had always planned to come first to the nation of Israel. God had always planned to come to the Jews, but it wasn't to end on the Jews. It wasn't to come crashing to a halt on the Jews. It was to come to the Jews so the Jews might be a light to the world. That they would get the first bits of the gospel. but then they would be the nation that he would use to take the gospel to the nations. And they'd come to a place where they didn't understand this. They didn't want to understand this. They had looked at everyone around them as unworthy and unclean. And they had forgotten that they themselves were unworthy and unclean. They had forgotten how many times they had grumbled and complained against God. Forgotten how many times they had sinned against him when he had told them what he expected of them. But instead, they elevated themselves to a position they were never meant to have. And Jesus here says, 
Let the children eat first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. It's exactly what God did was later on take the bread to the dogs. He took the gospel to the nations. He did so by dying on a cross, being placed in a tomb, being raised from the dead, reappearing to his disciples, commissioning them, telling them to go into all the world and make disciples. We, see, we saw that spread with 12, and it spread to 120. It went to 500, and then it went to 3,000, and then it grew from there. And within just a few months, really, the church was at 20 or 25,000 people. And we come all the way through history to this point in history, and the reason you and I are here today is because there were some Jewish believers who got it. We have no right to have anything against the Jews because we owe everything to those who saw Him as the Messiah and gave their very lives to make sure that we got the message. Do you realize that? That when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, we were all the world. We were at that time the same as those in Africa or China or in various places of the earth. When Jesus had all along wanted to bring the kingdom, that's what we sang about this morning, to the nations. It's what he will continue to do. The Bible talks about it in Revelation chapter 5 when it says that there will be those from every tribe and nation and tongue around the throne of our God. He takes them, takes these disciples to the dirtiest place, to the dirtiest person, to the dirtiest race, and he gets them way, way out of their comfort zone. They are so uncomfortable at this point. They are ready to go back home. Jesus, can't we go back to Galilee? Jesus, I'm really in the mood to fish right now. Jesus, can't we go fishing, Jesus? Jesus has got them so far out of their comfort zone, but it's oftentimes when we are out of our comfort zone that we learn the most from our God. He does this because he wants them to see what genuine saving faith looks like. Because one of these days, he's going to leave, and he's going to leave them with the mission. And they need to understand what salvation in a person looks like. I've been pastoring a long time, and I can't look into someone's heart and know whether they are or are not. But the Bible does say that there will be fruit in a real believer. And I've got to tell you, as your pastor, without calling names, without pointing fingers, I'm not the judge. You don't have to worry about what I think. But I believe that there are probably some of you that need to ask that question. Is there really root here in my life? Have I really been saved? Have I genuinely repented of my sins and by faith come to Jesus Christ as my only hope? Because I see in so many 
see in so many what the Pharisees and the scribes were pushing. That it's enough to follow the tradition of the elders. That it's enough to practice religion. That it's enough to do good and be good. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. And Jesus here takes these disciples and he wants them to understand that there will be people who come like the rich young ruler and say, what have I got to do? What have I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus wants them to see these four things quickly in genuine saving faith. Number one, when someone is saved, there is an undeniable draw to God. They're drawn to God. I, I couldn't help when I read this passage, studied this passage, I couldn't help but to notice that in verse 23, I think it's 23, I'm sorry, uh, it's in uh, verse 24. In verse 24 it says that he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, but he could not be hidden. Couldn't help but notice that. I, I kept thinking, how could this be? This is the same Jesus who, who sent the crowd away. I mean, they were ready to rush him and take him by force and make him their king, and he just dismisses them and they go? These are the ones who, in the middle of that frenzy, tells the disciples, go on ahead, and they go? Yet, he goes to this Gentile region and wants to remain hidden, wants this time of rest with his disciples, but couldn't? He couldn't? Really? And I think what we see in it, I think, is we see the undeniable draw of God. That when a person is genuinely saved, that there is this draw of God. It doesn't begin in them. It begins with God opening their heart and drawing them to Him. That's why I oftentimes pray, God, would you draw people to you? She had other options for her demon-possessed daughter. She was in a pagan land. There were temples to false gods all around her that claimed to be the gods of healing. And she could have went there. But instead she comes to Jesus. There's this draw to Him. I believe the Father was drawing her to Jesus. And secondly, a genuinely saved person has a humble heart. Humility is the mark of a believer. Pride has no place in a believer. Here in Matthew's recording of this same passage, this same account, he says that she cried out, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O Lord, the son of David. This is the mark of a humble woman. You go down further and you go into where it says that she went home and found her, her daughter well, but she's laying in bed. The demon has gone. She's laying in bed. The word there for bed gives us a clue that she's a well-to-do person. That she could afford things that other people couldn't. And here comes this ragtag bunch of disciples with this rabbi who has really no credibility in the eyes of the Jews. And she comes to him and she calls him, Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord. 
And son of David, she gives him the, the title, Messiah. Even when he calls her a dog, she accepts his assessment of her. She still calls him Lord. After the fact, after he says, I can't take the children's bread and give it to dogs, her response is, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat from under the table. She accepts her, his assessment of her. She's not arguing, not demanding equal treatment. She's not demanding justice because her heart's been changed. She knows she doesn't need justice. She's been shown that if she gets justice, that's bad news. If she gets what's coming to her in the eyes of God, she has nothing coming to her except hell and condemnation. She cries out, Lord, give me mercy, not justice. It's the opposite. We see this humility in this woman's life. It's the opposite of what Jesus explained in verses 20 through 23 when he said it's out of the heart. These things come, the murder and slander and envy and sexual immorality and all of these things. This is the opposite. This woman is coming not with pride, but coming with humility. And church, if we are genuinely saved by God, we have no other response. We have no other disposition, do we? Do we come strutting into church as if, hey, I'm here. We can start this party now. Is there any claim to that anywhere in the church? No. We have no claim except the claim of Jesus Christ on our lives. Only God can take the oil well that's in the heart that is spewing all sorts of defilement, all of the wickedness, all of the murder, all of the envy, all of the sexual immorality, that's spewing all of that up into the life of the person, and it's coming out. Only God can take that heart and cap that thing off, and not only cap it off, but to change what's inside the heart. Characteristics of genuinely saved people is that there was this undeniable draw to God. And there's a humility that is unmistakable. And third, they're filled with faith. The Bible says here that she begged Jesus. Matthew's version says that he didn't answer her a word, but she continued to beg. It's, it's this over and over, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, give me mercy. Son of David, mercy. She cries over and over. She's persistent. She begged him. Even when he calls her a dog, she keeps begging. Why? Because she knows, she's become convinced that he is the answer. That's faith. Faith is coming to know that he alone can help you. That he alone is what your soul longs for. Nothing else will do. When a person is drawn by God to God and their heart has been changed by Him, you just can't discourage them. They will grab on to the Lord and not let Him go. They must have faith. 
Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Faith hangs on to Christ in the dark. It holds to a silent Christ. It holds to a refusing Christ. It holds to a rebuking Christ. And it will not let Him go. Faith is the great holdfast that hooks a soul on to the Savior. Matthew's parallel when he finally turns to her and she says, but even, even the little dogs eat from under the master's table. Can't, can't I just have what falls from the table of grace? And Jesus' response to her is, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. He doesn't say to her, great is your love for your child. I'm just so moved that you love your daughter this much, that you would come and beg of me to cast the demon out of your daughter. I see how you love her so much. That's great, and so now you can go. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, woman, that's the wittiest answer I've ever heard in my life. That's great. I mean, that's just, that's just smart. I mean, I was trying to really get at you, but you turned it back on me, woman, that was great. You know, I'll grant it to you. No, he says, great is your faith. You see, that's the key that unlocks the door. There is no other key. We come to God by faith alone. Not works. Not the way we dress. Not what we do. Not what we don't do. We come to God one way and one way only, through faith. By believing that He is the Son of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And not just for the sins of the world, but for me. I am a dirty, rotten, filthy-hearted sinner in need of salvation. Jesus, You're my only hope. Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me. That's faith. You can't discourage that in a person. And the fourth mark of a person with genuine salvation is that they are received by grace. Even though he had only come for the lost sheep of Israel, even though she was not one of the children, but she was a dog, the Bible says, he received her. He extended grace and mercy to her. This was a foreshadowing of what was to come. I'm sure the disciples watched this thing happen and, and thought, this is the dirtiest place. This is the dirtiest person. Jesus, this is the dirtiest race. In fact, in Matthew's version, they say, Jesus, send her away. She keeps screaming after us. Jesus, just send her away. And when Jesus says to her, woman, your faith is great, you can leave. For that answer, you can leave. The demon has left your daughter. Go home. Go home to your daughter. It's an amazing picture because up until now, no one outside the Jews had received anything like this from God. They were the outsiders. They were the outcasts. Reminded of what Jesus said in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
I would ask you a question this morning. Maybe you're here today and the Father's drawing you. There's this unmistakable draw to God. You, don't, you can't explain it. You don't know why you're seeking after God. You don't really know what you're looking for. You just are here. Could it be that God is drawing you to himself? Could it be that God is opening your eyes and your ears and your heart to him? I would tell you today that if you would come, humble yourself, and believe in him alone, that he will receive you, and you will walk out of here receiving the grace and the mercy of God. Salvation is the work of God. The heart is desperately wicked. It's dead to God. It's full of pride and sin and doubt. It's defiled. It's rejected. And only He can make the heart alive. Only He can make the heart humble. Only He can make the heart believing. Only He can make the heart clean. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have nothing to boast in. Our only boast is in you, Lord. God, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, I stand here as a pastor. So thankful that you found me. That as I was running my hell-bound race that you came to me, that you turned me around, that you changed my heart, that you humbled me. God, that you gave me the faith to believe in you. And God, I pray that this room, in this room today, God, that there would be people that would have the same story. Lord, there are people all over this room that, that have been saved. They are right with you. Their sins have been forgiven. They've been washed clean. They've been given a new heart. God, today I pray, Lord, that you would give us a sense of gratitude. Lord, that you would strip from us a sense of entitlement. God, that you would give us these hearts of genuine gratitude. God, that it would flow out of us in the same way that the evil heart sees all of these things, these, all of these sinful acts flowing out of it, God, I pray that the new heart that we've been given, God, that life would spring out of it. And God, for those who are in this room today that they can't say that, they, they know they have an old, sinful, evil, dead heart, God, I pray today that they would turn by faith away from their sin. And God, that today they would trust you to be their Lord, their Savior. You are the author and finisher of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.